Hi, this is Allison from Boston, and I would rather marry Pat Robertson than listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Hello, audience, and welcome to episode 114 of I Doubt It with Dollamore on this April 12th, 2015. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, back from her trip, jet-lagged, I guess not really jet-lagged since it's the same area code, but uh, ready to go is the lovely Brittany Page. Yep, yep, yep. Just back from a trip. Mm-hmm. How was it? It was great. I went to Lewiston, Idaho. She went to, coincidentally enough, Jesse Dollamore's birthplace. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was born in a hospital, in the hospital, not a, like there's multiple, in the hospital in, in Lewiston, Idaho. Well, that is very exciting. It was very exciting that day. Yeah. Yes, yes. The world was changed forever. <laughs> Maybe for the worse. So I went to see Katie, my best friend, yeah. and I went to her baby shower. She is pregnant. And I felt the baby kick, which was really exciting. It always is. Um, it's kind of freakish. Yes, it was very freakish. It's like a scene out of, you know, aliens or something, that there's something growing in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I had a hard time feeling it because I'm an idiot and I also couldn't see it when it would kick. So um, I'm also calling it an it right now, which I'm sure is making Katie really happy. I mean her. Because the baby is a girl. Yes. 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 Katie also gets mad when I call dogs it, which I do all the time. Well, that they are it's. So anyway, Lewiston is very small and the very airport small. only has two gates. Yeah. Two, two gates. Two gates. Two gates, probably, and we don't mean two terminals. We mean two gates. Two gates. That is it, yeah. You either go to gate number one or gate number two. I have been in bus stations that are bigger than the Lewiston Airport. Yeah, it was really, really small. I didn't know that people really like flew into Lewiston on normal flights. I thought that it was just like a, a regional airport that people in their private planes, and I didn't know you could fly Delta. Into Lewiston. Right. Well, they're tiny planes that we flew in on. Yeah. Little puddle jumpers. Yeah. I've flown small, small planes like into Boise before in flying from places in Montana mm -hmm. where there is literally a wheel well that you're like, if you're sitting on the wheel well seat, there's a big bump there and your, your knees are oh, in, wow. your, in your, in your, in your neck. Oh, wow. Yeah. Terrible. So, so kind of like a bus when, when there's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. The hump. I think it's called a wheel well. I have no idea. I've anyway. Never... Yeah. I've flown on that small a plane. That's scary. Yeah. Especially being your size. Well, it's a nightmare. But this is this is nice having you back to report on how the trip went. Because usually I'm, I'm there and I get to hate on flying and the idiots with whom you fly. And I didn't have to put up with that this time. So how was it? Yeah, I had just a handful of bad experiences this time. Usually it's constant. Um, but this time it was just a couple of people that were turds. So starting out, my, my flight leaving Orange County, 
I was sitting next to a girl and she was taking lots of selfies. Now, this might not have been a big deal, right? Because everyone takes selfies. This is while everybody's filing onto the plane and finding their seats and putting away their luggage, right? Right, right. Yeah. But she was like flipping her hair around and, and snapping selfies. Like she was in a so, mock photo shoot. So her hair would be flying in mid-photo. No, just like that it would look like it had volume. Like she was like flipping it over and really? then snapping the picture. That's a lot of effort for a selfie. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of awkward because she also just didn't care that people were seeing it happen. Well, it's a it's a spectacle. It's a weird thing that I think selfie takers think that it's normal and commonplace and normal people think that they're fucking weirdos. Yeah, that's why when I said everybody takes them... You couldn't see my face, but I made a face when I said that. Okay. So additionally, that same woman that was sitting next to me was listening to techno music the entire time and I could hear it and it was just techno music, you know, no lyrics, just the same. Yeah. That over, that over and over and over and over again. For the whole flight? For the whole flight. Oh, my God. And I don't understand how that's enjoyable. Uh, that is not enjoyable. Well, maybe I, t I come at music with a different take, maybe. Because I like, I like to be relaxed. I like to be relaxing mm -hmm. on a plane. Mm -hmm. Or even when I drive. I know that when we drive in a car together, you don't like my choice of music because it's more mellow. And you like more upbeat music. But I can't have upbeat music because anytime I get angry, if there's like emotion, I get emotionally affected by music. I can, mm -hmm. like, if I'm listening to heavy metal music, there's guaranteed to be murder on the road oh, if someone pisses me off. Okay. So I have to listen to easygoing, you know, Ray LaMontagne or, you know, singer songwriter, you know, pussy shit. Yeah. And that just makes <laughs> me want to fall asleep when we're driving. But techno, I don't get it. Who can just sit and listen to techno? And just be like, oh, yeah, this is so good over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that happened, there was a guy sitting in front of me, two men sitting in front of me, and one of them took a picture of an old woman while she was sleeping and like doodled on it and then sent it in Snapchat. Uh, what a dick. And I was watching it all happen. And I just thought that was very rude to take a picture of someone while they're sleeping on an airplane yeah it's just dickish i don't know it just felt very like predatory for some reason well it's one of those things that you know you would you would want someone to apply the would you want that done to you you know do unto others kind of a thing and too often people what i mean i don't want to use strong hyperbolic language but like victimized but he's not doing that old lady a solid He's treating her poorly, so he's not maybe victimizing her, but he's being shitty, you know? Yeah, he, I mean, she's asleep. Let her sleep and leave her alone. Yeah, that's shitty, because so, you never know what the fuck's going to go viral. Right, so I started glaring at him, and he... <laughs> of course. And he turned around, and I continued to glare at him, so he knew that someone was unhappy with his behavior. But So well, you leveled upon him the patented... Britney Page bitch glare. Yes. Yeah. So Britney has, it's well documented on this program that Britney has a very well defined and honed RBF, her resting bitch face. <laughs> However, when Britney chooses to deploy her active bitch glare, mm -hmm. it is uh, frightening and it is something to behold. 
Yes. Sorry to anyone who's ever <laughs> had to see it. So that same kid that was taking pictures of the old lady. Well, you said man earlier. Was he a kid or okay. was he a man? Well, he was like a 21-year-old. Oh, he's a man. Okay, yes. Yeah. So he's a man. He asked the flight attendant for permission to go to the bathroom. Permission? Yeah. Well, may- maybe that's why you said he was a kid. Yeah. Because he's it, acting like a fucking child. It was very... I've never heard was that happen. Was the seatbelt light on? Like, boom. Was it was the you can move around the cabin or were they, were they did they have you in lockdown mode? I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. If you need to go to the bathroom, you get up and go to the bathroom. Well, what was her answer? Yes. Well, then then he's an idiot because that meant that the seatbelt light was off or whatever, whatever, whatever the light. Oh, I guess it would be off because you don't have to have your seatbelt on. Right. But even if the seatbelt lights on and you're about to poop your pants, you go ahead and get up and go to the bathroom. Listen, if you didn't take care of biz before you got on the plane and you're now on a plane and you have to shit, that is just poor decision making. Yeah. Okay. There's one more thing I want to talk about and I don't want to bring it up to bring back memories for you, but just before you flew back, I think you were in Salt Lake City. I got this text from you. You said, this is at 2.43 p.m. just a few hours ago. A guy sitting in front of me just sneezed three times and I immediately feel sick. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And I actually, I sent the same text to Katie and followed it up with, I could see the green germ critters going in my nose as I inhaled parenthetically in my head just to right, clarify right um but yeah he sneezed three times and it was like uh, wet well, you-, <laughs> you know it was wet listen if you gotta sneeze you gotta sneeze you know what but did he sneeze into his hands or was it just like a like a, a weaponized aerosol mist okay well it wasn't like the bug guy but it was it was still not good yeah okay um so yeah, that happened. But I want to just finish up my little talking about my trip with with this. I have this idea and I don't know why people don't do this. So when I got on the plane, I was one of the last people to get on the plane and I had a window seat, an assigned seat at the window. And when I got to my seat, everyone in my row had to get up, go back and let me on the seat. And then they all had to come back in and sit down. Right. Why don't they have the boarding situation go? People that are in the window seats go first. Oh, yeah. That would be a way better idea. Then people in the middle seat go next. Right. Then people on the aisle go. So then people aren't having to get up. It just takes more time. Yeah. That seems like it would be the better way to do it. I've never understood why they why they load front seats first, second, middle you, you know what I mean? Because right. you would think they'd want the back of the plane loaded first. Yeah. Because then you don't have to fumble fuck your way through everybody who's already seated. Right. Like, I, I, if I was a guy who flew first class, I wouldn't want to be on the plane first. Because everybody's bumping by you with their germ-laden luggage and That's their snotty-ass babies. Yeah. I don't. It's just weird to me, the policies that are relative to flying and we're not going to turn this into some kind of a stand-up act but i did definitely wanted it on the record that someone was sneezing on the plane because Brittany, as everyone knows everyone was like wait what are you saying and i was like bugs bugs and no one <laughs> <laughs> saying it multiple times was not helping people understand but eventually they caught on that's that's a clip <laughs> there's something wrong with me <laughs> that's a clip from the book guy 
in or the the, the snot guy at at school for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So No, he is the bug guy. You said it you said it right. <laughs> yes. So the uh, good trip. Good yeah, it was trip. good. Yeah, I'm it was good to you, see Katie. I'm glad you you had a good time Thank hanging you. out with uh Lewiston people. Yeah. That's not denigrating. I'm I'm a Lewiston person. I'm a northern Idaho guy. Yes, you are. I I act like that. I you know, I'm Huh? I'm solid North Idaho. Salt of the earth, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, last time on the show, we talked about audience engagement and how we wanted you to put the number in, in your speed dial. Put it in your phone. So if you have something you want to say, call. Let us know. And we have... That happened. It's great. And I just wanted everyone to know that it doesn't matter... What kind of interaction you want to provide, we accept that inter- that that interaction. It can be something as short as... I'll interact with your show by calling you a dickhead. Something as heartfelt as that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. We have a loving, very engaged audience, Brittany Page. I can see that. And then we also got a voicemail about the personal space topic that we talked about last time. So without further ado... Hey, Jesse and Brittany, Brett number one, the original. Hey, I'm calling in on the personal space topic because it's near and dear to my heart. I have a freak out that happens inside of me when I feel like people are getting too close. F personal opinion is that no people should touch anybody ever unless it's mutually agreed upon ahead of time. Anyway, so here's my story. Standing in line at a grocery store, so there are, you know, people all around. And I can feel somebody getting closer to me behind me. I can just feel it. And it's immediately making me nervous. And he's getting closer and closer, and it, it, it ends up, and I'm getting so aggravated inside that by the time that he's so close that I can actually kind of, I can feel his breath on the back of my neck, and he started to say something, and I just freaked out, and I turned around, and I, and I said, are you kidding me? And there was a lady behind him who looked at me with wide-eyed, and she she said, I'm so sorry. And then I looked around, and everybody's kind of looking at me like I was a dick. And then I looked <laughs> at the guy, and the guy was a retarded man. Oh. So the moral of the story is if somebody's going to come up behind you before you get mad, make sure it's not a retarded man. I love you guys. <laughs> oh, geez. That's a bummer. Yeah. Something like this happened to me before. Uh, First of all, thanks for the call, Brett number one. We very much appreciate it. I mean, as I said before, we don't mind interaction like this. I'll interact with your show by calling you a dickhead. But we would much rather prefer a more detailed, Mm -hmm. explanatory type of call. Yes. Like Brett number one gave. Yes. But I had something similar to what happened to Brett number one happen to me when I worked on Capitol Hill for the Senate. And... I was down in what's called the Senate reception room, which is a very ornate, marble, just ostentatiously decorated room that is just off the Senate chamber. So just off where the mics are on and senators are giving speeches. And it's kind of a, re- not kind of, it's a restricted area. Only media and, and people with specific uh, business to be there are supposed to be there. And this was a time... When it was very busy in there, the day, whatever was going on, it was very busy. 
and people are supposed to be kind of quiet or as quiet as they can be because it echoes because of the fact that it's this crazy, ornate marble room. And I'm sitting there talking to a friend, getting ready to go drink beers or whatever we were doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what you do when you work on Capitol Hill, I guess. Go drink beers? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I don't Seems know. like you do that in a lot of places. So I'm, I'm talking to my friend and I hear this oh, really loud. And I'm looking around like, what the hell was that? Because it's really loud and echoing. So I'm looking around and as I'm looking around, I hear, oh, what in the hell is going on? And I'm starting to get frustrated and angry because whoever's doing this is being a dick and they're supposed to be quiet. This is a place of, I wouldn't say reverence, like a church, but it's, you know, it's kind of like that. This is the United States Senate. Act with a little decorum. Mm-hmm. So I hear it again. Bop. What in the hell is going on? So I'm angry. I'm getting more and more angry. And I look and right when I make co- eye contact with the guy who does it, I see this kind of a shake and then an involuntary, bah! he had Tourette's. Mm-hmm. And so right when I made eye contact with him, with probably the most angry, hateful look I could give, I realized, oh shit, the guy has Tourette's and I'm completely being a dick right now. Yeah. So he was waiting with a group of people. I don't remember how his age, but it was probably like a high school group and he's getting ready to have a photo op with Ted Kennedy is who it was. And I felt completely demoralized like an asshole. And I got out of there as quickly as I could. Well, apparently both of these stories are a good lesson (laughs) to be more patient and maybe a little more understanding. For all of us. Yeah. Brittany Page. I know. I could definitely use a lot of that. (laughs) So I get it. Message received. Right on. Well, thanks, Brett. We appreciate the call. And of course... I'll interact with your show by calling you a dickhead. Thank you, listener. Thank you very much. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. (laughs) Brittany Page has started this new thing where she lip syncs everything that she can. It's not a new thing. Well, you're doing it a lot more than you normally do. It's because lip syncing is popular and now. And so, because of that stupid show. Yeah. Anyway, so Brittany Page was just lip syncing the intro to Dollamocracy 2016. What it, can I say? And it was funny. That's I wh- have a talent. That's why I laughed on the intro. The intro to the segment. So, big news, everybody. Hillary Clinton is officially a candidate for the presidency of the United States. The day is here. (laughs) It has arrived. Yeah. The first Democratic presidential candidate. And the odd thing is is she she announced her candidacy via, like, YouTube video. Yeah, like YouTube ad. Yeah, there was no speech. Like, she just released a campaign ad. Yeah. That was very, very light on substance and very heavy on on feel-good bullshit. Yeah, the feels. Right. So this is the portion of the video where she's speaking, not all the nonsense about, ah, uh, we're a gay couple, and hey, I'm a black guy, and hey, I'm a little Asian chick. You know, the, the typical, we're going to try to represent every single color and, and demographic that we can. Well, at least the Democrats try. Right. Yeah. Anyway. 
That being said, <laughs> that being said, here is Hillary Clinton in, I guess, her way of announcing that she's running for president. I'm getting ready to do something, too. I'm running for president. Americans have fought their way back from tough economic times, but the deck is still stacked in favor of those at the top. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. So you can do more than just get by. You can get ahead and stay ahead, because when families are strong, America is strong. <laughs> so I'm hitting the road to earn your vote, because it's your time. And I hope you'll join me on this journey. I'm doing something, too. I'm running for president. <laughs> Can you tell that Jesse loves Hillary I just, Clinton? I don't know. I just I know her voice wasn't like that in this ad. But whenever I hear her laugh, and she does have... Look, who am I to make fun of someone's laugh? But she has a cackling, Hey, everybody! I'm Hillary Clinton! Hi! She's got a weird thing with her voice, and it and it it bothers me. Okay. It's the same thing with Ted Cruz. He's got a goofy voice, too, that I don't like. Right, right. So um, you might be saying something that's factual, even if it's <laughs> douchey. <Dickish>. Um <laughs> But Kate McKinnon plays Hillary Clinton on SNL. Yes. And One, so, probably my favorite person on SNL. So she makes fun of her voice as well, I think. Puts on a, a unique voice to that character. Huh. So you might be onto something. <laughs> I hope so. But the reason she said, I'm doing something too, is because the whole video, it's like a two and a half minute long video, and it shows different people, and they're talking about, oh, I'm starting my first business. Right, or, I'm retiring. And, yeah, yeah, I'm getting a job. I'm moving, you know, all these different things. And then she's like, oh, I'm doing something too. <laughs> I'm doing something too. <laughs> or like that. <laughs> I don't think she sounded as elderly as that sounds. Well, but. it's not elderly. It's just, well, listen, listen, now that she has finally declared that she's running, we're going to have plenty of clips of her acting a fool and sounding stupid. And I'm going to get all kinds of time between now and November 2016 to make fun of her voice and Ted Cruz's. Okay. So. And Bernie Sanders if he runs. Yeah. So do you want to hear reactions to her announcement? Yeah, you said you had read that there's already, this just took place four or five hours ago, and you said that there's already been reactions from the other camps jabbing or taking shots at Hillary Clinton. Yeah, even ones who haven't formally entered the race. Right. Like Jeb Bush. On Sunday morning, Jeb Bush released a video saying the nation, quote, must do better than the Obama-Clinton foreign policy. Yeah. Um, Ted Cruz said, we're ready for Hillary. Hillary Clinton represents the failed policies of the past. Okay. Even though it wasn't her administration. Former HP CEO, Carly Fiorina. Yeah. Or Fiorine Foriani. <laughs> Um, the, I don't want her to be president just for that. Yeah, it's stressing me out. The only other woman eyeing the White House said in a video statement that Clinton, quote, doesn't have a track record of leadership or trustworthiness. She's not the woman for the White House. Governor Scott Walker, who in the very initial polls is tied with Jeb Bush for the lead, mm -hmm. even though he hasn't officially declared, tweeted that Americans want leaders from outside Washington and <laughs> tied Clinton to President Obama's foreign policy. Rick Perry tweeted that, quote, America cannot afford another four years of the Obama-Clinton agenda. Right. 
Rand Paul devoted a section of his presidential campaign web store to items mocking Clinton, including a Clinton hard drive, a reference to her deleted emails from her time at the State Department. I know Hillary Clinton. I served with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton does not have the right vision to lead America, said Rick Santorum. Uh, so all these people weighing in already and well, not very happy. Well, it's what it's what's to be expected. Right. You know, they don't want to. Although I think it, 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 it only comes across as sophomoric, let's say, to just attack, 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 especially when her campaign announcement was very lacking anything of any. It wasn't substantive. You know what I mean? There was nothing there. So there's really nothing to attack. Other than her feel-good message that, well, we're going to get back on top, everybody. You know, it's it just sounds shitty to me. Yeah, that's what's kind of odd to me as well. For someone who is excited by the prospect of having a female president who tends to lean to the left, something that struck me about that video and people sharing it is that they are sharing it saying, well, she has my vote. And why we, we haven't heard yeah, from you, her yet we don't know anything about what she stands for or what she's campaigning on we don't know what she wants to do i mean we do know one thing that's good and i was telling you this earlier which is it's unfortunate for the republicans that you know both republicans that are in the field right now Rand paul and ted cruz are very religious and in yeah. their videos well in ted cruz's video at least he talks about god a lot and and the traditional family and all this. And in Hillary Clinton's video, you you talked about it earlier, you see lots of diversity. She has lesbians in the video. Sure. She has a gay couple in the video. Right. And that part of her video is appealing to millennials for sure. And right-minded human beings. And then everybody else. Yeah. Well. Not everybody else, but. I, I, here's the deal. I, I don't. Uh, she has an advantage uh, being a woman. And that might be a weird thing to say, but all the male candidates are going to have to walk on fucking eggshells around what they say based on the fact that she's a woman. Because even when something that they say isn't sexist, it's going to be viewed through the sexist lens. Hmm. So she has an advantage there where she might not come out and say it, but her counterparts and her emissaries will be saying, oh, you see what they did? They're just being sexist. They wouldn't say that if she wasn't a woman. That's going to be happening all the... Mark my words, that's going to be happening. And it's a bummer, but it's part of the game. And if they are wise, her opponents, they will be watching that. I think that's probably a dumb thing to say. On my part? Yeah. Why? Well, are we going to be talking about Megyn Kelly? Well, yeah. Do you want to wait until after the Megyn Kelly thing? Yeah, we can wait until after the Megyn Kelly thing. So everyone just keep in mind, we're, we're going to be talking about the Megyn Kelly thing. And keep in mind what Jesse said about Hillary Clinton complaining that her colleagues are going to be sexist. No, 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 no. See, you've just done what everyone's going to do. Hillary Clinton isn't going to say everybody's being sexist against me. Her, her people. Her emissary, all her people she's worked with. Her, all those people are going to be saying it. So if if you still stand by that, we'll go forward. <laughs> okay, go so not people who have, not her, and not people who are working directly with her. Right, well, yeah, right. No, no, nobody from her campaign will do so because it will seem defensive. Okay. It'll be everybody else who will do it, is okay. what I'm saying. That's probably which true. Is, which is perfect for her because it's... Then they will say, well, you know, this person said this or this or this about him being sexist. And, she'll, and then she'll say this. 
Well, you know, I didn't say that. No one from my staff said that. I can't, I can't account for what they said. But once they've said it and everyone knows they're a political ally, it's on the record. And that, that seed has been sown. And everybody is now thinking, oh, that person's being a sexist asshole. Okay. I you know, get what you're saying. You know what I mean? I, 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 sometimes I don't speak as eloquently as I should. Well, I also probably just wasn't paying attention to you. <laughs> Par for the course. Yeah. So Par for the course. let's include that. All right. Let's move on. We're, we're going really long on this. So Rand Paul, his media woes continue. This happened. He, he's gotten a bad, a bad rap. He, he sat for an interview with Savannah Guthrie from the Today Show. And it didn't go well. We played most of that last episode. And he had another encounter with another female and it got testy. No pun intended. And then he had an interview on his campaign, like in an office or something. It had a Rand Paul backdrop. So I just think it's somewhere on their premises. But he had an interview. He did an interview with a Guardian reporter, a male. And... I want to put this in context because I want you to hear what went down. So I'm kind of giving my spin on it before I play the clip. But the Guardian reporter goes to ask another question. Rand Paul says, I, I only have time for one more. The Guardian reporter says, okay, one last question. And then he asks the question. For one, more. one more question. And uh, sorry, we sometimes have to be a bit forceful. But when you stand for president, you get pressed on questions and you, you understand that. Last question is about campaign strategy. You gave that speech in that hall and you got a lot of enthusiastic response from people who care about criminal justice. Young people do, Democrats do, liberals do. You're standing for the Republican nomination. All the research shows that Republicans, white Republicans, who are going to determine the outcome of this race, don't think that the criminal law is applied in an unfair way. So how are you going to win the nomination with this group? I think your premise is incorrect. Actually, I think that I can take that message into a white evangelical church anywhere in Iowa and give exactly the same speech and be received well. Washington Post ABC poll last week said two two and three. But this is the specific sentence. Okay, so we we got that interview cut off. Maybe it was because I was about to push him on the specifics of... Oh, the lights are off, in fact. Uh, We're being told to go, but the specifics of why Republicans, most of them, don't think the criminal law is uh, applied equally. Two in three white Republicans say that, according to a poll last week. Would have been great to put that question to Senator Paul. The interview was cut short, but that's Periscope. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you next time. So when he says one more question, why don't you ask your humdinger, why don't you ask your gotcha, awesome, crazy question then, rather than, oh, well, we didn't get a chance to get to the good stuff because he cut us off. He didn't cut you off. He said one more question. You agreed. You said, okay, one more question. Here it is. That's one more question. Right. So here's the problem. And a lot of this is because of Rand Paul. When you come across as dickish and you come across as short with reporters, they're going to take advantage of that because they know you're vulnerable that way. Yeah. So he is the cause of this. But that reporter was not being, well, he's from The Guardian, so how fucking fair could he be? But he wasn't being fair. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened with turning the lights off. It's all on video, so if you want to search for it, search for it. But the lights go off, but it's still a very well-lit room. It's not like pitch black. He's on video. Yeah, he's obviously trying to be a little more dramatic. For sure. Oh, he's walked out. Oh, now they've turned the room black. Right. Oh, I guess our interview got cut short. It's probably, it's. he goes, it's maybe because I was getting ready to ask the tough. Why don't you ask the tough questions when he says one more question? 
Yeah. Ugh, well, fuck. he said he was he was going to get the specifics. Maybe he should have asked a more specific question. Yeah, be better at your job. <laughs> All right, now to the final Rand Paul clip. This this took place on Mel- Megan Kelly's show on Fox News. The Kelly File. The Kelly File. And he sat with Kelly, uh, with Megan Kelly for yee, what seemed like 10 or 11 minutes. And they covered a lot of different topics. But this was specific about the women, him being unfair or short with women. Well, I'll tell you this. Chuck Todd came out and said you have to be careful because you attacked two prominent female interviewers. The Guardian said you were condescending to female reporters. And I, as a female reporter, will say to Chuck Todd and The Guardian, we don't need your help. Savannah Guthrie doesn't need your help. <laughs> Kelly Evans doesn't need your help. And you are entitled to push back on the interviewer just as much as you would if it were a man. So these male commentators can butt out. You, we can give as good as we get. Um, but the thin skin question, whether it's a female or a male uh, reporter, that one I say is fair. I'll give you the final word, sir. I, th- I think it, no, I think it is, and I mean to say anything. Can I do better? Yes. Am I sometimes thin-skinned? Yes. But am I equal opportunity? I mean, I had a tiff with a male reporter today, so it has nothing to do with sexuality. I, I when I think of doing an interview with you, I don't think whether you're man or woman. I think of an intelligent person that's going to ask me questions. I don't think of who the person is that's asking the questions. I know that. Here we had a we had a robust back and forth, and I, and I know you'll come on the program again. I mean, people, it's to me, it's ironic that the people trying to step in and protect these female interviews are themselves being sexist while they're suggesting that you were sexist because you didn't kowtow and you weren't polite enough to your female interviewer. So there's my two cents on it. I'll let you go on that note. Senator, great to see you. So this was very inspiring for me. Yeah. Because I really appreciate her doing that. I mean, Megan Kelly, although she has her faults, I think she's a rock star. Yeah, no, listen, anybody who tries to take away from Megyn Kelly relative to her intelligence or her 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 powerful persona is not being fair to being logical. I mean, she's she is a rock star. She is fucking smart as shit. She is aggressive. She is assertive. She is what you want, whether it be male or female in an anchor, although she's a little too opinionated. Yeah, and she's gotten more so with the Kelly file. Right, because she's kind of in that time slot now. She's in what I don't like, which is kind of hybrid with news and comment, where they're they're kind of like when you when you flip on O'Reilly, you know what you're getting. It's opinion. He's not reporting the news. He's commenting on the news. She's still in a time slot and doing a show that is purportedly, ostensibly news and so just because she's one of the blondes at fox you know everyone talks about how everyone at fox is blonde and they're all bimbos no megan kelly's very educated and she's very intelligent and i like what she says here because yeah they don't need you to say oh you need to be nicer to the ladies right right we're good right you don't need to be nicer to us and and we can handle it right well, see, and I'm, I'm not, speaking like I'm a reporter or something, well, but when, this this translates to all professions. I agree. And so when, when I earlier when I was talking about Hillary Clinton, I wasn't saying that Hillary would. What I'm saying is there is a public perception. Most people would listen to Chuck Todd and say, yeah, that's true. Oh, man. And so Hillary is going to use that to her advantage, which she should. Every candidate should use everything to their advantage. That just happens to be a thing that's very sensitive especially amongst 
liberals and, you know. Which is weird because the left is all about the the power and women are equal and women can do this, but they then they have that that view of well they need to be treated. Oh, he's treating me different because I'm a woman. Well, well, he's being hard on you. That doesn't mean he's be treating you different. Well, we'll have to see. Maybe I'll be wrong. It's it's doubtful. Well, I'm just saying you were wrong if you were going to say Hillary Clinton was going to use that. No, and, and that's why absolutely I absolutely not. Yeah, there's no fucking way. Because I feel like she has an attitude like Megyn Kelly, which is no, I'm going to be treated as an equal. Right, but I wouldn't put it past her campaign to organize. Hey, listen, we can't say it ourselves, but wink, wink. It would be awesome if you said it, and then let it happen and just watch the shit fly. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's going to be to her advantage. And real quick, before we move on from Dollamocracy today, uh, Mark Rubio, senator from Florida, is apparently going to announce tomorrow, which is today for you, listener, Monday, he is apparently going to announce. So maybe while you're listening to this, he has already announced and we have another candidate in the race and things are looking real good for Dollamocracy. Moving on, though. We talked last episode about the tragic shooting of Walter Scott in North Charleston, South Carolina. And the dash cam video has now been released by the city department, by whomever is in charge of the investigation or whatever. And... It was kind of telling. It wasn't really, I guess, there wasn't really good information or new information that really explained the shooting, of course. But an interesting thing that Brittany pointed out that I wanted to talk about very briefly. Here is a little bit of audio from the dash cam. So anyway, the cop gets out and he goes up and asks him for his license and registration. So the brake lights out, they have a little bit of a conversation and then the cop walks back to the car, to his car, the cop car, and at one point, um, Walter Scott gets out of the car and like acts like he's going to walk back to the cop car. The cop screams. It's kind of, you can't really understand what he says, but he says to him, hey, get back. Get the fuck back in the car. I don't think he cusses, but get back in the car. So he gets back in the car and not 30 seconds, not 45 seconds later, Walter Scott gets out and makes a run for it and just, he darts off as slowly as a 50-year-old man runs. Right. It's like a, it's like a, a medium paced jog away. Yeah. And at which point the Michael Slager jumps out of the car and chases him down screaming taser taser taser. Right, right. So that's what happened. And then on this video, you do not hear the gunshots. That must come later. So what was interesting to me is that Brittany pointed out how I guess ironic it was that the song that was playing in the cop car that the cop was listening to when he pulled this guy over was from a band called Everlast, 
The name of the song is What What It's Like, and it's about... Um, being empathetic and learning how to see the world from someone's perspective and walk in their shoes. And there's three different people that are talked about in the song. One is a homeless man. One is a woman who's getting an abortion. And another is a kid who's involved in like gang activity, I think. Um, and so the lyric says like, God forbid you ever have to walk a mile in his shoes. Cause then you'd really know what it's like to sing the blues. Right, or then right. you'd really know what it's like to have to choose in reference to the abortion. Yeah. Or then you really know what it's like to have to lose. Cause one of the people dies in the song. So it's just weird that this song was playing when this was going on right had he been a touch more empathetic he may not have fired eight rounds into the back of uh, a fleeing suspect an unarmed fleeing suspect right i mean the entire song is then you then you really might know what it's like i mean that's what is said the most in the song and you can hear it in the cop car it's said like five times right right and it's just really i don't know it's strange that this song was playing kind of eerie yeah yeah it's it's a it's one of those. I'm kind of expecting Everlast to come out with like a fourth lyric <laughs> about a cop who pulls somebody over, and you know, you would know what it's like. Wouldn't it be great if you knew what it was like to get shot in the back when all you were pulled over for was a taillight that was out, dick face? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Right. So, not to bum you out, and thanks for that ob- observation. It's it's one I've heard nowhere else. I haven't heard it either. You're hearing it here first, folks. <laughs> But this is the benefit of being a human Shazam. Right. That's right. So moving on. This week on Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO. Goddamn. Two (laughs) two of my least favorite people in the fucking world. Fareed Zakaria and Bill Maher went at it. And I don't want to turn this into the Bill Maher episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to do it. Because when Bill Maher does something worth repeating... I want to celebrate it. Yes. Because it's probably never going to happen again. <laughs> it might occasionally. Because normally I have only anything but criticism yeah, that's for true. Mr. Marr. Mm-hmm. So this took place on, on real time this week talking about the Sarnayev trial, the Boston bomber trial. Right. And Because he was found guilty. He was found guilty on all 30 counts. Mm-hmm. So this took place on the show between Fried Zakaria and Bill Marr. You know, they kept saying that he was, he looked arrogant and he looked indifferent. I think they're misinterpreting that. What he looked to me was confident. Confident because he knew where he was going. Up to paradise, which gets us back to the idea of Islam is the mother load of bad ideas. Fareed. <laughs> well, as, as you know, Bill, I've written a lot about the problems in Islam. In fact, I wrote about them well before you were talking about it because I was focused on that stuff. My problem with the way you approach it is, I I don't think you're going to reform a religion by telling 1.6 billion people, most of whom are just devout people who get some inspiration from that religion and go about their their daily lives. I don't think you're going to change the religion by saying, your religion is the mother load of bad ideas. It's a terrible thing. Uh, You know, uh, shape it up and, and change it. I think... 
I think, frankly, you're going to make a lot of news for yourself and you're going to get a lot of applause lines and joke lines out of it. But if you really want to change That's those people, if you want to change that religion, then what you have to do is push for reform, but also with some sense of respect for what the, the spiritual values that people take. I'm not a religious guy. But all I'm telling you is I know that world, and if you tell everybody, you suck, your religion sucks, uh, clean it up, it's going to get their backs so, up so against I, the so wall. I should, so let's, let's say it's That's not right. even a religion. Let's say there's a social club that believes women are second-class citizens, gay it's, people should be put to death, you should be put to death. But that's not all 1.6 billion people. Not because all. If they did, if they not did all, feel that way, not just you'd have a, a lot more it, than a few terrorist you, attacks. You do know, Fareed, come on, you do know I've that seen that same Pew survey that you quote every time this comes up, and I'm not disputing it. <laughs> I'm, You're I'm not, not disputing dis it. I'm not disputing then it. Then why is he one, shitting One though? time, four years ago, Pew did the survey and they got those So numbers. you're saying in the what Muslim world is, it is not a widespread belief that death is the appropriate response to I, I don't, leaving? I don't know because I didn't conduct that poll. All I'm telling really? you is that you, you go to those countries. You go to Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world, and they, they have lived happily with minorities. They, they, you know, women are given respect. Yes, is it as advanced as the West? No. You know, but you don't have a huge problem of jihad there. The biggest problems you have are in pathologically dysfunctional Arab societies which have had 40 or 50 years of repressive dictatorships in which they have driven all dissent into the most extreme places. But I, but I began by saying, I have always said there is a, the word I've used is there is a cancer within Islam. Our difference is, how are you going to fix it? Are you, are, do you really think you're persuading people with your... First of all, with honesty. You're not persuading people with what you're doing. You're, you're getting applause lines in the West. It's you know totally what, different. You know, that, that's insulting, that I'm it's, doing this for applause but, but lines. Well, I'm telling you, the reality is you're not changing those people. You're well, not it's changing not an my average job. Egyptian. Well, but let's, let's, you know. let's think about... We started with Sarnev, right? So I'm cutting it off there because the New York Times reporter cuts in on a great conversation and then fucking talks about drivel and moves the conversation nowhere. It's a screeching fucking halt. You just witnessed a goddamn train wreck, a t smashing of locomotives in the way of a New York Times reporter interrupting. Right. They were getting to the, the, the great, great content there. And what I want to say is this is a wonderful conversation to have. Yes. Because as much as I don't like Fareed Zakaria, and I wish he would just get the fuck out of our country, America, if he hates it so badly. And everybody, I don't like it when people say that, but when you are profiting under the blanket of the economic diversity and riches that America provides, while simultaneously shitting on the same system in the same country, you're you're it's disingenuous it's it's uh it's not appreciative it's shitty and that's what he does constantly so i don't like him but some of what he's like, <laughs> very matter of fact so i don't like him so i kind of went out uh, i went off the rails there for a second speaking of train wrecks and and here's the deal is i kind of agree with what he's saying i mean he's making rational points fareed zakaria fareed zakaria well not and, about pew research he's not no 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 but about about the whole point of Bill Maher, do you think you're changing hearts and minds oh, by for sure. telling them they're stupid? Yes. And I'm one who would say they are stupid. What they believe is stupid. Yes, but behaving like that isn't going to make people listen. That's exactly right. And we right. talk about it all the time on the show, which is when you enter into a, an intellectual discussion and you attack people or you make them feel threatened, all it's going to do, and, and studies have shown this as well, is that it just makes people dig their heels in. That's right. 
And I, look, it's a lesson for myself as well. It's definitely a lesson for me. Um, but but then Bill Maher counters with a great point about the social club. If there's a social club, no blacks, no Jews, no queers, no women. If women are going to be around, they have to have their heads covered and their faces covered. That would no fucking way would a social club, if there was a, a country club that was a private club, and to be a member as a woman, you had to have your face covered. There would be fucking riots in the streets. I'm being tongue-in-cheek. There would be protests. There would be outrage at something like that. But because it's Islam and it's religion, it's okay. And there is a problem there. And there is, it's it's not, there's a, a lot of gray area with how do you act? How do you react to to Islam? To those numbers that we talk about from the Pew Research about you know, 69 to 80% of, of Islam believes that death is the appropriate punishment for apostasy or for leaving the faith. Well, and that's what was unfortunate about what Fareed Zakaria's reaction was when he mentioned the Pew Research thing. He said, well, yeah, that was a survey done four years ago and they found this one thing. Pew Research does spectacular work. Of course. And their sample sizes are always very large. And even if something might have been four years ago... It was comprehensive when it was done. It doesn't mean that it's out of date. Right. It's not like there's been some reformation in Islam. Because that work is hard to do like once a year. Right, of course. Oh, it's very expensive too. So after the New York Times reporter ran his mouth a little bit, the conversation continued. I have to move on a second, but let's not pretend that the, the things that ISIS believes are not things that many millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Muslims believe around the world. Where to pretend you, that is just... But to, to say that hundreds of millions of people believe what ISIS does, you would have a lot more problems than the, than the, number, than the terrorists... I'm not saying they believe now. that you should burn what, people alive. I'm saying they believe that if you make fun of the prophet, death is what comes to you. You don't, you don't no, agree with that? No, because, look, I, I grew up in this world. What people feel, you know, they feel like their religion is being insulted. And so if you ask them on a poll, the point is, do they go around burning people? Do they go around stoning people no, no. in Indonesia, in India? These are places where hundreds of millions of Muslims yes. live. Right. And all I'm saying is, well, you don't see that. And the people so, who do that, if, if they if they know that there are hundreds of millions of people who support that idea. No, I'm not myself going to kill Salman Rushdie, but I think it's a terrific idea. They, if somebody does. Good point. You can't deny that those are fellow travelers. All I'm saying is that you, you don't have any operational reality there, which is those those countries, those societies are not actually stoning people to death. Good points on both sides again. Yeah, again. And this, this conversation is actually really inspiring. And it's great to juxtapose this against the Ben Affleck situation. It's only a bummer that Sam Harris wasn't there once again. Because right. Bill Maher isn't really fully equipped no. to take on a guy with an intellect like Fareed Zakaria. Because as much as I don't like the guy, he's not a dummy. He is a smart man. He's very intellectually capable. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. But this conversation is inspiring in terms of the disagreement that's occurring, but you never hear raising of the voices. Nobody's face is getting red. No, you never right. hear hostility. No one looks like they're going to cry, <clears throat> Ben Affleck. And <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a good exchange of ideas. Right, for and sure. And people are being reasonable. And that's what you need in order to have a discussion that's meaningful, both for the people that are involved and for the people that are hearing it. Right. So uh, we're going to finish up this segment of Bill Maher. <laughs> 
with uh, another clip, and I just want to I want to I want to preface it by saying this: there's a point in the clip where there's like a an awkward pause and laughter, and that's because right after what Bill Maher said, he took a shot and looked over at Fareed Zakaria, kind of referencing what was just talked about previously. Right. Very funny, and you'll know when it happens. Now, ever since Indiana Governor Mike Pence signed his Religious Freedom Restoration Act, he and like-minded conservatives have been trying to have it both ways. They hate discrimination, but they love the Bible, a book that commands you to discriminate. That's what it says. Gay is an abomination, and we must destroy it by denying it pastry. Of course, the root of this problem is that more than half of all Americans still believe the Bible is the actual or inspired word of God. But now 55% also support gay marriage, which must be very confusing. On the one hand, clearly, God has spelled it out. He hates fags. But you like your gay neighbors, Rob and Larry. But the Bible tells you to kill them. Yes, it literally says kill them what to do. (laughs) Well, if you're Christian attorney Matt McLaughlin from nearby Orange County, you write a ballot initiative which calls for killing all the gay people in California because, to quote Mr. McLaughlin, better that offenders should die rather than that all of us should be killed by God's just wrath. Now, I know you're saying this guy's so far out on the fringe, but that's the scary thing. He's not. And this is what never gets discussed in these religious freedom issues. The reason fundamentalists are so stubbornly anti-gay is they truly believe that condoning homosexuality will bring on God's wrath. This is what Jerry Falwell used to preach. He said AIDS was God's punishment for a society that tolerates homosexuals and that gays and lesbians helped 9-11 happen. John Hagee said God caused Hurricane Katrina to wipe out New Orleans because it had a gay pride parade the week before. Pat Robertson warned Orlando, (laughs) home of Disney World, that if they went ahead with a gay-themed promotion, it'll bring about terrorist bombs, earthquakes, tornadoes, and possibly a meteor. (laughs) Possibly a meteor. He's not a kook. Just two weeks ago, Bob Jones III, founding scion of Christian Bob Jones University, apologized for a comment he once made, which was, it would not be a bad idea if gay people were stoned as the Bible commands. Take fundamentalists at their word. They literally believe this stuff. And if you believe that God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah for being too gay, then yeah, he must be itching to hit West Hollywood. (laughs) Now, is California really going to consider Mr. McLaughlin's gay killing bill? Of course not. But as batshit as this asshole is, Just imagine if there was a whole country of Matt McLaughlin's. Well, there is. It's called Saudi Arabia. It's called Iran. It's called Pakistan. I could go on, but suffice it to say that in many Muslim countries, you wouldn't have to work hard at all to get signatures on your Kill All the Gays ballot initiative. In 10 such countries, it's already the law. Right there. That's when he did it. (laughs) Because... 
because they have crazy scripture too. Muhammad says of sodomy, kill the one who does it and the one to whom it is done. Especially him, because he probably likes it more. (laughs) He didn't say that part. People say ISIS hijacked Islam. No, actually the opposite is true. Religions do have hijackers, but the hijackers are the moderates. And I thank atheist God for them. They're the ones who took a sharpie to the Bible and redacted all the crazy parts until there was almost nothing left to read, like an email from Hillary Clinton. (laughs) And now someone in Islam needs to do that with the Koran. You know, there's so much wrong with America these days. Take pride in the one thing that is legitimately better. We don't let fundamentalists rule our shit. So I know it was long, but it is really good. Yeah, I think there was some important stuff said there, too. And I think the audience got silent after a while because they realized that it was actually serious material. Right. Not all just jokey, jokey. Right. And even though he was saying some of it with a funny tone, it was still very serious. There is something to be said for poking fun at Islam and being a little bit vitriolic toward it or religion in general, um, because... If you have people like Bill Maher or even myself from a, a far smaller degree relative to audience, um, if you if you have people like us who are being no holds barred, no holding back the punches, it's going to cause embarrassment amongst the moderates in Islam. And then it will force that conversation to be had within Islam because it's, uh, reformation or reform in general within the religion, within any religion, isn't going to take place from without. It's only going to take place from within. However, if their pressure can be applied from outside of the faith to make them feel ashamed of how backwards and stupid they come across, then I think that is a good thing. And Ion Hersi Ali just wrote a book about the uh, Islam needing a reformation now. Yeah, what's the name of it? Heretic? I believe so. Yeah. And she was on Jon Stewart recently, and I wasn't a big fan of how Jon Stewart treated her, and he was telling her that um, he believes people treat Islam differently than other religions, kind of like you were saying, with more vitriol and, and treat it like it's different. And she didn't say this, but I think that what she meant to say... Or maybe what she should have said. Right. Is that... You know, Christians, although there are fundamentalist Christians like Pat Robertson who are terrible and who are saying these ridiculous, hateful things, they aren't killing people. Right. They aren't killing people. Well, not in the Western world. There is a, there is a little bit of that going on in Central Africa, and there's some bad shit that goes on, but it's, it's not as widespread. There's not a hundred million radicalized fucking Christians. And there's not a country like Saudi Arabia who is you know, whipping people for having a blog about free speech and secularism. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen here. And so that's the big difference in what she's saying or what Bill Maher is saying, what anybody's saying who's leveling a critique. And I don't think it's being hateful, but I think that any time this sensitive of a subject is discussed, that people naturally feel threatened by it or right. that something negative is being said about them or to them. Right. Well, they gravitate toward the, the, the accusation of Islamophobia. 
Right. Which I, the, the term itself just fucking makes me... Ugh. Anyway. So, moving on. I'm sure many of you have heard about the epic drought that is going on here in the state of California. Um, Jerry Brown, our governor, has just dulled out um, some regulations relative to the cutting of urban water use. Urban water use would be personal use and the watering of golf courses, you know, those type of places. Well, urban water use is 25% of the water in California. Mm -hmm. And that includes lawns, golf courses, parks, and public medians. That's right. And also personal home use. So he wants a 25% across the board reduction in urban water use. And there's going to be stiff fines and penalties for the different municipalities that don't put it into place. So they're saying five-minute showers, less flushing of the toilets, right. all that kind That's of stuff. Right. Now, so like I said, 25% of the state's water is, is urban use. 80% of California's water is agricultural use. 80%. That adds up to 105%. Okay. Well, okay. You're, you're right. You're right. Right. So these figures are, it's less than 25%. Okay. And it's slightly less than 80%. So somewhere in the middle there. It's around 80. It's around, I, I want to give the high numbers conservative okay. for like the urban water use. Right. Good, good catch though. Since I'm apparently completely terrible at math and didn't notice. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about... Because he has put no water, no strict water restrictions or any water restrictions at all on the agricultural sector mm -hmm. of the water users. He has put um, that they need to do a, a comprehensive analysis of how to, ir to irrigate better and how to use their water more wisely. But there's no number. It's not you need to reduce your water use by 25% or 10% or 2%. No, there's no number. Right. And there's one thing that I really want to talk about, and it's almonds. For those of you who love almond milk, for those of you who love a crunchy almond with a cranberry, dried cranberry like Brittany Page. Yeah, that was pretty specific. So I thought that was going, <laughs> going to me. Well, almonds take up, and this is not a typo, 10% of California's water. Uh, wow. 10%. Wow. Just almonds. That's crazy. 10% of all of California's water goes to fucking almonds. That is 1.1 trillion, trillion with a T, tango, 1.1 trillion gallons of water a year. Okay, well, I think we can do without the almonds. That is enough. Listen to this. That is enough for everyone in California to take a 10-minute shower per day. For the next 86 million years, Brittany Page. Wow. 10-minute shower per day for 86 million years. Now, you didn't do that math, right? I did not. Okay. Slate did. Okay. So, my issue is why is why are there not any restrictions on lessening the impact of water usage for agriculture? Well, might it be because California is the nation's leading producer of so many different types of things? Right. But when they have planted these almond groves in the middle of the fucking desert, it's not viable, especially when we are ha having a catastrophic 
drought. Right. I mean, it's it's an like they say that within five years we're going to be in bad bad shape, mm-hmm. like dystopian type of the society where we don't know. It's you know Mad Max all over again. Well, I'm glad that the woman that lives next to me uh, washes her car for 20 minutes at a time. Yeah, I have video of it. I went out there and I mean, I don't want to be busy body guy, but I took video of her out there in her little bikini washing her car. Was she in a bikini? No, she was in a tank top. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that you're... It's better for the, it's better for the audience oh, if they imagine okay. little bikini lady if out there. If they imagine you secretly videotaping someone in their <laughs> bikini? No, I don't think that's something you want people to think. I think I'm imagined as a creeper as it is. So okay. I just want to further that. I just assume that. I don't know why. Okay, well, she was fully clothed. Well, first of all, she's also out there washing her fucking Hyundai. It's not like she's washing her, her tricked out, you know, Range Rover or... Or whatever, it's it's a Hyundai, a late model, shitty little gray Hyundai. Right. Your car doesn't need to be clean. We're in a drought. Yeah. Come on. Or bring it to the car wash where they recycle their water. Anyway, so my problem with Jerry Brown is just he's he's it's all for for show. It's it's a political jerk off fest where look at us, look at us. We're really trying to do something about this as a as an administration, and really they're doing nothing because if they really were trying to do something to save water, conserve water, and change the setup in the state, they would target agriculture and and also target uh, urban use, but they would really want to take a, a chunk out of that 80% or the full 10% of the overall pie with almonds. The problem is there has been a lot, and I'm going to look into this for next episode, there has been a lot of political contributions coming from, and I don't want to use big tobacco, big oil, big gay, but big almond. There's been a lot of political contributions come his way from the people within that almond grower community, and we're going to find out. We're going to talk about it. So I definitely wanted to cover that. Lastly, Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister of Australia recently passed or they are getting ready to implement uh, January 1st, 2016, a a referendum that will lessen or greatly diminish welfare benefits for people who do not vaccinate their children. Parents who refuse to vaccinate their children will miss out on childcare rebates and welfare payments up to $15,000 per child. Under a new measure announced by the Prime Minister this morning, Tony Abbott says there'll now only be a small number of religious and medical exemptions to the regime, which will begin on January 1 next year. Uh, We are reducing the grounds on which people can object uh, to having their children immunised in future. They will only be able to continue to receive childcare payments and the family tax benefit part A supplement on if their children are unimmunised on religious or medical grounds. Yes, people can, if they like, object to having their kids vaccinated, but if you don't have your children vaccinated, other than on strictly religious or medical grounds, you won't qualify for the supplement and you won't qualify for the childcare payments. So uh, this is essentially a uh, no-jab, no-pay policy from this government. It's a very important public health announcement. It's a very important measure to keep our children 
and our families as safe as possible. And I want to thank the Minister, Scott Morrison, for the work he's done in this area. Two things here. No jab, no pay. (laughs) Right. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. If you don't jab your kid with a needle, no money from us. (laughs) Apparently, he does not have an aversion to needles. Right. And the other thing is, is... It's nice to see that politicians the, the world over all play the same kind of fucking games. Although I agree with this. I think it's it's kind of lazy and it's not really effective because they are still giving a religious exemption. Um, he's at a daycare. You can hear all the kids and the bratty crying and playing and making noise and not being quiet for the microphones in the background and they do that on purpose because i'm here to support the children i don't know i'm trying to do a australian thing and it turned out to be jfk i don't know i know i got nothing that's terrible (laughs) i got nothing you're worse than me i know i'm terrible so anyway it's it's just nice to see that they are trying to do something although i don't know how affection uh i don't know how much efficacy it's going to have based on the fact that they're still allowing religious exemption. So if somebody really doesn't want to vaccinate their kids and be and still be on welfare, all they have to say is, yeah, well, Jesus told me. So mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. good. No good. So I think we'll end it there, everybody. Brittany's been gone the whole weekend. We got some catching up to do to plan the next episode. Yes, we do. We do. And I'm going to find some Pew Research stuff just to make Fareed Zakaria mad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll show him. We will show him. He doesn't know who we are. So listen, if you haven't rated or reviewed the show, again, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. I mean, that's a little antagonistic. Yeah? Um, You know, I, I think it feels just right. Yeah? Just, yeah? just enough? Yeah. Well, listen, if you have not gone and just rated the show, it'll prompt you to review. But all you have to do is rate the show on iTunes. Uh, you want to really... Don't encourage review? people to be lazy. Okay. Just go ahead and write the review. Rate and review the show on <laughs> iTunes. That would be super helpful and wonderful. It would endear you to us forever, and you could leave your mark, your indelible mark, on the I Doubt It With Dollamore uh, iTunes page. Yes. I almost said Facebook page. Yes. Which leads me to Facebook. Yes. If you haven't gone and liked the Facebook page, go like the page. Listen, we, we don't post all the time. It's not... It's not 12 times a day. It's maybe three times a day. Yeah, maximum three links a day. Oh, you have a system. Yes. Okay. Well, because Brittany is the Facebook Yes, I schedule the posts. Right. So, additionally, we have ordered the stickers. Yeah, they are ordered. They apparently will be mailed out sometime this week. There we go. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So, the Patreon people are for sure going to get theirs right away. If you are a Patreon patron, you are a patron on Patreon, um... Make sure that your address, your home address, is recorded because I have a system to go in and I can click and see where your address is, and then I will mail those out. So if you've given the wrong address, you're going to want to go change that. And if you have not given a, an address, you're going to want to change that. So we, as always, thank our Patreon subscribe our, our Patreon patrons a lot. It's, it's a great thing. It's at patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. You can give 50 cents an episode. You can give 25 cents an episode. You can set a monthly maximum so you don't overspend. It's a beautiful way to support the show, and we appreciate every single one of you just a little bit more than we appreciate everybody else. (laughs) Seriously, though, we appreciate everybody for listening. Um, Now, that really came across as dickish. I think I'm just going to quit while I'm ahead. Listen, go visit dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the, the, the page there. 
There's a Amazon search bar. If you're going to go buy a book, if you're going to go buy a set of tools, if you're going to spend your money anyway, every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news, news. and ridiculous comments. Until next time, thanks for listening. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. I'll interact with your show by calling you a dickhead. <laughs>